Welcome to Series 5 of Industry Minds. My name's Owen Woodgate from Tax for Actors. We are over the moon to be sponsoring this series. It really is one of the best yet. So without further ado, enjoy the show. And welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Kathy Reid. And I'm Scarlett Maltman. And today we are joined by the gorgeous and wonderful Rosalie Craig. Hello. Hello. You're, that's a nice introduction. Thanks. <laughs> How, How are, are you? you today? I'm fine, actually. It's, we, well, we're talking on an extremely hot day, aren't we? So I'm a little bit sweaty. <sighs> so but hot. It is really hot. I think I underestimated the heat of today. Yeah, it's, it's going like to be worse tomorrow. Degrees. It is. I is mean, I, I'm. I don't know about you, ladies, but I'm not. I'm not a heat lover. Nope, I hate it. Oh, I'm <laughs> such a sun worshiper. I love the Are sun. You? Yeah, I tan really well for a oh, Scott. Scarlett, that's so annoying. I go like quite golden I think because I've got some Canadian like in my blood, so I I, I don't really burn. You're so and I love it. Lucky. I love a little so... golden tan and. Yes. Um, but we always start with a little word association game. Okay. So it's the first thing that pops into your mind. Oh, so no. the first one is summer. Burning. <laughs> <laughs> Picnics. Oh, crisps. Downtime. Yoga. Music. Oh, my life. Family. Everything. Theatre. A gift. Additions. Auditions? Yeah. Horrific, awful things. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Fashion. Oh, just, I, lo- I love it. My sister. There you go. Pizza. I want to eat it all the time. <laughs> Wine. Life. <laughs> <laughs> Wine is life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> That's it, but don't worry, we have another game at the end. Okay, yeah. good. That was really important. <laughs> so, Rosalie, we always start at the very beginning. What led you into the arts? What led me into the arts? Because um, I'm uh, I'm not academic in any way, shape, or form. I um, was only really ever sort of interested in um, drama, English, things like that at school, and I felt completely inadequate in in anything that wasn't to do with sort of um, words or music. And um, my uh, I grew up in Nottingham. My parents used to take me to the Nottingham Playhouse, which. Um, lucky for me, my my best friend from school now runs Adam Penford, um, which is amazing. Which is absolutely amazing, actually. I, I sort of take that for granted, but that is amazing that Adam runs that place. Um, that place um, <laughs> it remains open. Um, yeah, and I used to go. We used to go to the theatre every Christmas to go and see the Panto. And every year, I'd be like, I want to be the principal boy. And um, my sister was brilliant at dancing. So she actually got to be in the pantomime and I didn't. And I was heartbroken. But um, fair dues, because I can't dance. Uh, and really, that was it. And my parents, we don't, I don't come from a wealthy background or an artistic background. My parents, my mum taught the blind, the blind and my dad's an architect. And it was just something, I guess, 
I guess without sounding cheesy, it was just in me. I guess it was something I wanted to do. And they were, they're not pushy at all. They weren't people like, you must go to dance class. You must go do this. I was just me going, I want to do, I think I want to do this thing. I want to do this. And then and they got me involved in um, local government-led groups and things like that and choirs and, um, you know, free music lessons at school. I think the only thing that they paid for was like piano lessons outside of school. And I, And again, I would basically be really lazy and try like learn one piano piece by ear because I'm so shit at reading music because it's about math isn't it I'd like learn it by ear and she my parent teacher was amazing she used to tape it for me and so I'd listen to it and then I'd play it back and then we'd get like halfway through the class and think is my dad watching the telly in the other room yes and then she used to say play me one of your compositions and I go oh can I and then we spend the rest of the class just me playing what I'd written so really she was just cultivating that side of me and and um it just didn't stop really I I just sort of never fell off the end of that and then and then kept studying you know I had, went to sixth form college and decided to study drama and music and was horrified that I had to do theory you know and just thought God, I just do a practical exam please it's just absolutely horrendous I can't do any of that side of things so um so that really. Oh, That's I love amazing. that. You know, I sometimes think that like being a musician myself, I played the piano since I was six, but I was super like, I learned to read music when I was six and then it was grade, 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 grade. And then I finished my grades when I was 15. But I actually think that the better players are the people that just learn things by ear or, um, or like make their own stuff up. So I got to like 16 and I was like, well, I can play three pieces a year for the last like 10 years, but am I actually like a better musician than I want to be so it's really cool to hear that your teacher just kind of like nurtured your talent instead of like making you do um not that my teacher made me do exams I wanted to do them but like instead of being like you need to get these exams done that's that's so nice to hear oh she was brilliant Mrs Benson and I'll never I'll never forget Mrs Benson and also you know she still says to my mum dad how's she doing and she comes and sees me and things now and again but I honestly just think I think that what that's what makes a really great music teacher, isn't it? Somebody who who can recognise someone like you, Kathy, who wants to do grades, and someone who goes, "This child is not. Um, they're not. You know, the theory side and the, and the sight reading side is. It, it's not the mark of how good a musician they are. I guess. Mm-hmm. Obviously, drama schools these days are doing a lot for mental health, and it's something that is you know getting more and more recognised, and the schools are you know, trying to support their students more. At the time that you were training, was there, you know, anything to help mental health at that time? Absolutely not. I don't think it was even a conversation that would that would be had. I mean, I think it went as far as me having a pager and a BT charge card to call home on a Sunday. And, you know, and when the money ran out, it ran out. It was, it was talking to your family. If you were lucky enough to have one um, to talk to, um, but there was absolutely no sense of um, mental health, and I've, I and if I really think back to it now, I mean it's quite a blur. I don't know, maybe it's just because I was young, but I can only remember. I sort of go, I can't believe I survived that time. So it's eighteen is so young to leave home, and I knew fuck all. I knew nothing. I mean, I didn't even know how to make food. It was just like, how the hell am I going to survive? But I've, if I think back to some of my classmates and of they were older there was a lot of older um people on the course then um who could join who obviously came 
had had a career in something else and then decided to be in the arts, a lot of them were really sick. A lot of drug abuse, a lot of mental instability. And I don't think there was any, there was no position in the college that you, there was nobody you would go and talk to. And that's not to say like, I'm sure if I'd gone to a teacher and said, I'm really struggling, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't talked about. I don't think it's been talked about until very recently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. So let's move on from uh, where you trained and let's chat about your experiences with mental health. So that can be uh, your personal experiences or just how you've kind of seen it and um, observed it throughout the industry. Well, I suppose um, mental health, uh, to say that as an expression, it brings up loads of different ideas of what that is. Like you say, is it a personal thing? Is it my relationship to somebody else with mental health and I suppose um I I think it's I really want to be honest about it so I suppose the best thing to talk about is the fact that I think it's always in flux your mental health and I think it's a lifelong um sort of practice for yourself and um uh, and I think it changes throughout your age uh, and where you're at in your life. And and I think it's a very surprising thing um, that sort of happens to you, your mental health. And um, I think often we can get pigeonholed as um, people in the creative arts um, or performing arts as people being dramatic or... Um, I certainly is growing up and I've got an incredibly supportive family, but whenever I was upset about something, it was the fact that I was being dramatic or um, still, I still, they still sort of pull that out of the bag now and again saying, you know, she's overreacting and she's being, you know, she's an actress and whatever and all this kind of stuff. So um, I am, I, I, um, I wouldn't say that I'm a depressive, but I say, I would say that I've had bouts of depression and also um, I'm, like anybody prone to good days bad days and certainly this situation we're living in now more bad than good I'd say um but throughout the profession I think that my attachment to mental health um and I suppose this is what I wanted to talk about with you with you ladies I was going to call you girls then but you're ladies how dare I but you can call <laughs> you girls we're all girls aren't we for the, yeah, for the yeah. I don't like being an adult, so you can still call me a girl. It's fine. <laughs> I don't feel like one. I don't think anyone likes being an adult. Who would want that? I think that my thing about this profession and mental health is that we attach our well-being and our mental health to it. And I think that throughout my life, I have attached whatever's going on in my professional life, and that has dictated how well I am mentally. So if things aren't going good for me, um, I just feel like there's no there's no point in me being here you know what is the point of I, I remember that really really well in my 20s and when I first left my first professional job and I could and I just thought I'd get hired immediately and I thought you know every audition you get and then I remember ringing my sister who lived in in Paris at the time and just saying I don't know what to do and she was and I was on my way to the doctors and you know and I just didn't know what there was just nobody sort of to turn to or no information about who to turn to. I guess when you come out of drama school, unless you've been fortunate enough to have a tutor that you've had there, who's become your sort of like um, mate who you talk to, or you have a brilliant friendship group where you talk about those things, um, which I think people probably have a lot more of now than, than when I was 
at drama school, I think it's really hard to know where to go or where to turn. I mean, your whole life is just unrecognisable. You're supposed to leave home, then train in oppression, then go into the real world and rent accommodation, work, do work, try and get work in a profession which is completely unstable anyway. And then you're all the while you're trying to stay sane. It's like, how are you supposed to do all those things? And I just think, I wish, um, you know, and also it's not, it wasn't sort of something that we talked about back then, like going to therapy or indeed when I've come across, you know, it's a very open conversation now having a therapist, but I mean, it's something that I feel, I, I certainly, when I started therapy recently, I've come to it very late and I can't afford it at the moment. You know, it's just like, what happens if you can't afford therapy? I'm sure there's millions of places you can go to, but a regular person that you speak to about things. And I think also, if you're lucky enough to have a family that you do talk to, there's only so much your family can say until they until they don't, they want to fix you quickly, don't they? They're like, so I, I, I'm, I've, I don't think my relationship towards mental health will ever end, particularly even the last sort of 48 hours. It's like two different seasons, you know. It's like it's winter and summer all at once. You just think, wow, OK, I don't have a handle on it. But I guess having, having to survive this long without any sort of bandage of work or any sort of... Um, adrenaline hit from the potential of a job or doing a job or um you know that sort of addictive quality this industry has about oh, I've got an audition or there's hope or there's this or there's this it's just been the bare bones recently and I think it's quite telling where we all are mentally but yeah I just I, I just I just feel like I've, I've I'm constantly working on that side of myself who isn't yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you've seen a tweet that went viral this week from, um, um, I, I know it actually, she was in the year below me at a drama school called Bethany Coulson. And she put something out on Twitter and she was just saying that basically, um, I th- she was chatting about her experiences um, being a young actress and um, have being told that you have to you have to give up everything to be in this industry. You mm. can't go on holiday to be in this industry, and how damaging that was to her mental health. And then she shared an email between her and a previous agent saying that she wasn't she wasn't able to make this audition. Um, because she was going away that weekend and then her agent basically saying well you obviously don't want this career enough and she just called out and said I'm sick of people saying that you you can't want it but um having a personal life is so so important especially for mental health and I was just it, it went it went completely viral and every every kind of like name and person was backing it and I just thought that's so amazing that people are like are, are, are saying this now because I think it is such a, um, a stigma that unless you go for it all completely and yeah. um, and obviously you are someone who who has a brilliant I've, I've nannied for you I know that you've got a brilliant family <laughs> like well you do have um that kind of balance how 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 and um, what would you say to to younger actors who maybe feel pressured to go at this industry like so 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 much because I think obviously just now we're we're all taking a time to 
kind of relax and, and take things in and it's 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 allowing us to to think about the way that maybe we have been in the past what what advice would you give sorry that, that's just a completely no, I think that's a really 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 important thing to talk about I'm glad you brought that up because honestly I um this is how I got my first job I was on holiday after drama school with my sister I cannot remember where we were but we saved up forever and ever to go on this tiny little uh, package holiday together and um and we were there and I got, I can't, would it, would I have got an email then? Probably not. I don't know. Or maybe I got a phone call saying I had to go and like go into a cafe and get an email from somewhere. And, um, it was like, you have to come back for a recall. And I was like, what, what do I, what do I do? Because I'm on holiday with my sister. I've never been in this position before. It was like my, probably my third audition out of drama school. I didn't know what a recall was. I was like, okay. And um, and then it just meant that I had to, I mean, it was just led to floods and floods of tears. And my sister and I, she had another week left of the holiday. And if I didn't, ha- I didn't have enough money to fly back to go to the recall. And it wasn't a question of them moving it. It was like, if you don't go, you don't get the job because it'll be somebody else. Um, and I did come back and I did pay and I did leave my sister on holiday and she had a horrendous time and couldn't get back um, and thank God I got the job because it caused so much stress and so much anxiety and this is never ever, I wish I'd, I wish I'd known about that tweet now, I'm probably not that active on Twitter as, as, as I should be but I, I think it's horrendous and I think those things are expected of us all the time and I know everybody in industries and in business makes sacrifices but I just think this mentality surrounding that you don't want it enough or you're not committed enough if you don't drop your whole life in order to make one meeting. And I still get it now, you know, in terms of if you can't make this time slot, then you can't go. And it's like, especially like you say, Scott, with childcare now, it's like, but literally, I literally can't make that meeting. If it's either in the morning or the afternoon, that's fine, or another day. And it's just like, Sorry, the part's gone. And I just want to know who that, who is that coming from? Because sometimes you have to do a self-tape and you've got to bang, get it in like the next minute. And then you might not have it for two months. And you're like, what was the rush? You pay 50 quid on like whatever you have to do. You miss a shift of work that you have to do in order to pay your rent or your mortgage. And then, or if you've got kids, you've got to get childcare. You've got someone to do the tape with you and all this kind of stuff. I just think it's not good enough. It's not good enough that we are treated like that. And I agree, it has to stop and it has to be a more flexible industry, Um, especially uh, going back to what you're saying about, you know, mental health and and how to keep healthy outside of all of that is you do have to have a strong family unit if you're lucky enough to have one and a strong friendship group because that really is, it's more important. It's much more important because there's going to be more rejections than there, there are, there's more no's than there are yeses. But I think actually the problem is, is that there's so many of us going, living in fear in this industry going, oh yes, of course I'll make that. Okay, I'll make it work. I'll make it work. Is that nobody's accountable. Nobody has to say, well, actually this doesn't work. Like this actual structure of saying to people, it's your slot. I know there has to be like a structure, but your slot is at 11. Otherwise there's no slot. That's like, but that's crazy because they could miss out on the person that's absolutely right for the job as well. Exactly. 
Exactly. And people missing funerals, weddings. No. Yeah. People miss the birth of their children. I've been in shows with people, but people have got married and they've had to come back to work that night after getting married. I was in a show, I was at the RSC and an actor went off and got married and he said to them, I'm getting married on these dates. And he said, that's fine. You can get married in the day and you come back in the evening. Yeah. What? That was 20 years ago. And also I've known people... This I've worked so, so many times with actors and they're standing on stage and they've got their phone in their wings, in the wings, and their phone rings and it's stage manager and their baby's coming. The baby's coming. And they're like, they're gone for maybe a day and they're back at work. I'm like, hang on, hang on, hang on. They need to not be here. They've just had a baby. Like, and they've missed the baby, they've missed the birth. It's almost comical if it's not, so sad like the idea that yeah. the work goes sorry you can go to your wedding but then you then you have to come back like what? yeah it's just I just think there just needs to be a little bit more planning and a little bit less laziness put into it so that there are contingencies for those kind of situations and it's not like you don't know a baby's coming like you know like you've got the due date but also the fact that that could Put an potentially put an actor off getting hired, or indeed put them off, you know, taking the job without having that conversation. But I think that conversation certainly when I was pregnant on Threat Me Opera, and I had to ring Rufus, and I was very very early days pregnant, and I remember ringing him, and I have never, I genuinely don't think I've been that scared because I thought, and it, that's not because of him, because he's a brilliant liberal accepting human and um he couldn't have been more thrilled for me that I was pregnant because I'd known him since I was well I'd known him maybe for about seven years but it, it was it was I was I was really frightened to call up and say I'm pregnant and what happens and how do we manage this and you know and I felt very afraid to tell anyone at work that I was pregnant to be looked down on. I remember doing fight workshops and going, oh, I'm not feeling very well and I'd have to sort of sit out because I couldn't obviously be punched in the stomach because I was like <laughs> getting a small child. <laughs> I was constantly afraid of being fired. Constantly. And um, I just think there's a lot of actresses who are still get, getting fired because they're pregnant. And also, I, I, I'm not. I'm not proud to admit this but if I think about having a second baby I worry about my employability and I worry about how hard that would make work and how the pressure on the family and um, we don't I just think about I'm not worried about when the baby's here anymore I'm worried about who would hire me if I if I was pregnant I think if you're extremely established if you're Olivia Coleman and you're filming a show that can be built around you being pregnant or things like that, it's a different thing, but I just, it's just, there's so many different aspects to it. There's just, there's a lack of humanity. And I don't know why that is when we deal with humans in this industry, it's all about the human emotions. So the fact that we cannot deal with the real human emotions and humanity in, in this industry, I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know why that is. It's, it's bizarre in a way, isn't it? It really, it really is. Like what, what you're saying there that I remember, was it Into the Woods? And it was Emily Blunt. And 
I remember watching an interview with her and she she was she was heavily heavily pregnant towards the end of filming was and she? How, yeah and how they they literally adapted um the camera angles her outfits and everything so that she yeah. didn't look pregnant and it's like well why if they can do that for someone like you say established like Emily Bunt why can't they do it for for anybody like, why, why is why is she more superior than Kathy Reed because she makes more money mm. I feel like though if you're if you're right for the job you're right for the job regardless of if you're pregnant or not or if you're going to have a baby or not and it shouldn't be any factor at all you're not allowed to discriminate against someone because they're pregnant so why do we feel like it's going to happen in our industry in any other industry it's not allowed you literally can't do it can you it's not fair (laughs) I I agree with you it shouldn't be just for the for the for the box office names that 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 happens it should be absolutely be for everybody and uh, the amount of actresses I've had to say to me you know I want to have a baby but I'm scared what would I do and the amount of the actresses I asked before I got pregnant and the amount of people just went bloody hell don't rely on this profession ahead of that decision because that decision is the best decision you'll make in your life if you want kids you can't wait for like oh maybe I might get one job which means you don't have a child for the rest of your life it's like the fact that we were thinking like that but the thing is I think there's a lot of women in industries who think like that they're like oh I mustn't get pregnant at this point because it will mean I don't get promoted or blah, blah blah it's just I just would like to see one man who's ever thought like that yeah. Or a man who's ever gone, oh, I just don't know whether I should have a baby at this point in my life. You, it's never fucking crossed your mind, has it? Because it doesn't affect you like it affects us. Completely, completely. And like, it had, that's something that's crossed my mind like recently as well. I'm like, oh, like all my friends back home who are like working in offices and stuff are like having babies. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe I should. But then I'm like, exactly that um, but I, I don't think I'll be able to because I want to have a career but then meeting people like you Rosie who are busy who do have like you've got a lovely little girl LV I think that's what is so inspiring about you because you you do voice how you you, you do voice how difficult it is and I think it's just normalizing that and going but actually you you, you can still work in this industry and have and have a family and have a child how have you found being a parent while you are both still extremely busy in the industry? Obviously, your husband's still very busy as well. You were both in a, a show together. You, you are hopefully going back into it very soon. <laughs> we, were on the show. we were busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, have you, how, have you, how have you found it being um, busy parents in the industry? Oh, you know, a nightmare. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. It's just every day is like a different sort of madness. And no two days are the same. Um, I just didn't, I don't think we thought it would be ever be possible for, for, to do it. Like when we, when LV was here and we hadn't realised what that actually is a baby in your life and what actually you have to do in order to keep a small, tiny human alive, um, everything sort of fades into the background. And then it's just been an absolute crazy, sweaty, messy, juggle and um there's moments when I think back to decisions I made and still decisions that I think about late at night and think I just don't know there's no point going over the past and that's a lot of stuff that I'm trying to go over like thinking those decisions I made were for financial gains like going back to work when LV was very young is something that I'll always question was was that the right thing but as 
um, Hadley always says to me, we had to do that in order to provide a home for her. It really was never a question of going, what about me? It was always about what is what is the way that we can provide for this small person and make her life the best we possibly can. But there was always a little voice inside my head going, Rosie, you've got to get back to work. You've got to get back to work because people think you don't work anymore or people think you've had a baby and you don't do this anymore. Although with hindsight, I realise nobody cares. Actually, everyone just thinks you're busy. And they're like, oh, have you had a baby? Oh, right. You're like, yeah, haven't worked for a year. Um, but they're like, they're just, I mean, I guess nobody's really paying that much attention to you. They're all worrying about themselves and what they're doing and how it's looking and how it's being perceived. And um, I think that that is something that if I were to have a second child, I would, you know, depending on the financial situation, not that I think we can have one because of this pandemic anymore, you know, and, and money. But um, I just, uh, I think I'd make different decisions. But it's been really tough. It is tough, but there's, it's also absolutely amazing. And my agents always say to me, it is the best profession to become a parent in because you have time. And that's what we've had, time and no time, like loads of time, then no time. Like we're all together or none of us are together. And um, the things that, that, that have been most challenging is trying to change the perceptions of employers and trying to bend people or sort of suggest to people that, you know, that this is something that's as important as the job. And, um, you know, if I, it, it, we maybe we can change working hours or... Um, and, and people are really, really, really reluctant to do that in this profession. Some directors absolutely, absolutely just go, of course, let's just do that. And how can we help? And um, some producers say, and what does it look like for childcare? You know, because childcare is really expensive, really expensive. And I remember when um, I first had LV and I was on at all the artistic directors going, where is your crash? Like National Theatre, where is your crash? I was giving Rufus a right hard time about it. And then Michelle, Terry and I were coming up with like ideas to have a crash in the West End. How can we do it? And then she took over the globe and she was like, we need to have a crash here. And she's tried and tried. But I think the foundations that have been set are so archaic in this industry that it, they they are the hardest things to shift, even with the, all the drive and all the power behind uh, people it's just and Rufus has really tried himself it's just the profession has been set up in a, a male dominant way and it just I think you know we've been given this time that hopefully when we come back we can look at all everything and just restructure it all and just go hang on just because people did that for tens of thousands of hundreds of millions of years does not mean that it's right yeah, yeah, totally, completely. You shouldn't be reliant on one director or one producer saying, well, of course you can have your child in the next room, or a director going, well, of course you must go, your child's sick. Or, you know, you know, don't worry about coming in late today or if you need to leave early. In fact, what about a director saying, let's all work, like as Josie did on City of Angels, let's all work up until four o'clock and everybody go home. 
So nobody's looking like they're getting special treatment. Nobody's looking like a parent's being favoured. Everyone's being respected as to the fact that they have lives. And this is what we keep saying, isn't it? We keep coming back to the fact that this industry, in order to be a success, people think that it has to be your life. And how on earth are you supposed to grow as an artist if you don't have a life outside of the outside of that rehearsal room? And that is, we we are embodying life in our art. If we don't go and bloody live it, how are we supposed to perform it? Yeah. You know? And and I don't think it makes a healthy working environment if you are working all the hours and you have to work every single weekend and your time for your family and time for whatever you want to do in your life is compromised. And I don't think it's a healthy breeding ground for creative, a creative process. I think it creates sadness and, um, and, and the feeling of that, that your life is secondary when, when it's not. Yeah. Needs to change. Just think a bit more, a bit more flexibility and a bit more understanding and it can work. It can definitely work. And the government to back the arts and create creches for the whole of the UK for for artistic people. That would be good. So you called out that theatre should do more to support parents in the arts back in 2017, which was the same year that you collaborated with the Donmar Warehouse for a production all about motherhood. Can you just chat us through what sparked these initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Josie Rourke, who then ran the Donmar, um, it, it was a it was a brilliant sort of um, it, it was amazing how it came about. Really, that's why I love our industry so much because around the corner from our flat, little did we know, um, uh, Michelle Terry lived, and I kept bumping into her because I've done a play with her husband Paul Reddy in Chichester a few years before that, and we kept bumping into each other on the street. And I, at this point. She was very heavily pregnant, and I was like, "Oh, I'm due," and all this kind of stuff. And um, and then she gave birth, and then I think it was about four weeks after I gave birth to Elvie, because with our kids are four weeks apart. Um, Polly Findlay asked me to go and do a play at the Dunmar, and I said, "Oh my God, I would love to," but I just, it's just too soon. <laughs> like I can yeah. stand up. I'm like, I don't know my name. Like I would love to come and uh, you know, and I was like, "Oh." I really want I love her and I wanted to work with her and she was so amazing she's like you can breastfeed in the room you can have as many breaks as you want I was like yeah but I've only got one shot at like sort of bonding with my kid for life so I'm I'm probably going to choose that um and then uh Michelle gave birth and then Hadley was writing committee for the Dunmar and they said to Hadley how can we make this easier for you because um we were basically just in the early stages of parenthood where you don't sleep and we live quite far out of London and they've got a flat above the Dunmar and they said Josie's just so I just love her and she just went just come and live in the flat I was like what should just come and live in the flat whilst he writes that show and he can and then you can be together and when you're really tired you can pass the baby around and we can have the baby in the room when we're writing I was like is this is this a joke and she was like no no let's do it so that's what we did we moved into the that dump. It's amazing. Um, mate, she's amazing. And we Who moved- knew there was a flat? I know. Oh my God, it's so nice. <laughs> That's where they put like Cole Kidman and people. It's like, I was like, oh my God, people have slept in this, in this flat. Um, oh and my goodness. It's so cool in the middle of Covent Garden. I was like, this is ridiculous. I was more excited because I could go to Zara. I was like, this is Zara right there. I mean, I couldn't afford anything in there, but I was like, it's there. I can just walk across to it. Um, and uh, and then um, 
I was chatting to Josie because obviously Hadley and her uh, uh, were working very close together and I just said god I just how <sighs> just it's such a shame I couldn't do that play and how can we get back to work and she said oh gosh Michelle's just uh, said that she can't do a play here either because of um, bonding with her kid and then she went hmm you two should get together and we'll give you the basement rehearsal room of, of the Dunmar and you can bring your children your two babies into it and you can write a piece about motherhood and that was it. That is amazing. And they gave us an allowance when um, when we weren't at the Dunmar and we, we um, had moved back to our respective homes around the corner from each other in South East London. They gave us an allowance to get in and out of town in taxis to go to the Dunmar and write together. And they gave us money for childcare in the room. Um, so we employed an actress friend of ours who was out of work and she needed some money and... Um, does nannying so she came in the room and looked after Scout and LV when we were working and we, we needed just like a minute and she'd look after the children um, and then they set up with they were listening to different various ideas and then we decided upon um, doing our birthing stories it came about in so many different ways and we interviewed hundreds of people and they contacted so many amazing people to come talk to us and then they set up in the rehearsal room downstairs a, th a theatre like a creche for mothers and babies to come and listen to our story. And it was probably one of the most special, important things I've ever done. And it wasn't just like lots of people came who are never going to have kids or just wanted to come and see what it was about. And it was never like exclusive, but at the back there was a changing area for the babies. Uh, it was like a breastfeeding zone. You could just get your boobs out. Uh, there was like that is amazing. Like, like like areas full of toys and areas if you wanted to go out and walk upstairs with your baby and like lights in the corner for the, it was unbelievable the, and we did it for like and then I got some filming which totally clashed so they moved all of the dates of the show. Wow, now I mean, geez, oh, that's what theatre is all about, though, isn't it? Like. Yeah. collaborating and like helping each other out and making things making things accessible I mean as if you lived in Covent Garden I'm so jell I know. it wasn't for long guys but <laughs> I'll take it I was like yeah. oh God. I was so gutted when we left I was like I don't want to go home <laughs> that is amazing it was amazing uh, so, so that was uh 2017 was it was it I think so I can't remember yes 2017 um it's obviously 2020 now uh you and your husband Hadley um before COVID-19 were both working in the West End in the same show what do you think the industry can do more of to help parents in the arts and have you noticed that there has been more support since 2017 when you've done that amazing show <laughs> um uh, well I don't think it is present in the arts, no. I think you have to ask for it. And I'm not sure if you're a parent and you've got a 14-year-old how much you're going to be listened to, but I think it's just as relevant as if you've got a nine-month-old or a three- or a four-year-old. Um, I, I, think, I think the way that we can tackle it is the working hours. I think that's the main thing. Working hours and having some sort of humanity based around the fact that if your child is sick, you do not need to come into rehearsals. If they need you at home, if you need to go and make their negativity play, you should be able to go and do these things. I mean, I know that that will cause different um, conversations to be had in the arts and people will have to adjust. But I think 
have we not just we're just living through unprecedented unprecedented times so surely we can answer that the whole of the world is reshaping itself so this surely is a chance for us to reset the industry and go but what do we actually need these are just archaic practices that have come in and that does not mean they're right i mean there's many 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 directors out there who are incredibly experienced. Richard Eyre works 12 to four, just 12 to four. And that's out of personal choice. And his shows are the, the most incredible things on the planet. Because he knows if he works 12 to four, his actors will respect him and they will work harder for him. And that's just about treating everyone across the board equally. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's working hours, I think it's, um, I don't know what the answer to it is financially because I don't know where we're going to stand after all of this because there's no money left and there's, all the theatres are closing. So I would have not... Pre-COVID-19, I would have said we need money injected into the arts for childcare and creches set up for people coming back into the industry or baby-friendly rooms. I know the National... Polly, my friend, who I did actually like it with her, when she went back to work to direct... Um, after her baby was born, they set up a room for her to breastfeed in all hours. And she'd just direct and then put the baby down in a cot next to her or breastfeed whenever she needed to. It's absolutely possible. It's absolutely possible. I, I think there's, a, there's a, a mentality in this industry that we don't get sick. We don't put anything in our family life above what we're doing. And it has to change. It has to change. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. What's your thoughts on um, job shares? Yeah, I like this conversation. And actually, um, I think <laughs> pre-Elvis, I keep saying, I would have been like, mm, I don't know about that. But actually, um, I think it should be something that is talked about. And I think if I think if people were approached in terms of if they'd like to share a part and it would probably mean that they don't get paid as much but I think people would maybe choose that over the lack of time that they get at home or with their families and I think if somebody was offered a role who was a new parent male or female and they said what would you feel about job sharing and they said yes great find somebody else who's in the same position or who wouldn't want to do who maybe lives out of London lives in like Hastings and wouldn't want to be in London the whole week you know why not yeah and like as we've been saying the obviously we're going through such a strange time at the moment there's time to have these conversations now like it doesn't need to go back to the way it was before and I I just I mean I know that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet here but I just don't see any reason why it wouldn't be an option um and why why it can't why it can't be done it's like just like I said before just be less lazy and make it happen I know, and also there's so many of us. <laughs> Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's so many of us, and it might it would mean more work. You'd have to re you'd have to rehearse more, or like um, when we're doing City of Angels, um, uh, the alternate Michelle, who's amazing, um, who never got to um, do every Monday because we didn't go that far into the run, but um, she was just we, she just did the part in the room. I'd have a go, she'd have a go. It was like great. No problem. It's just actually about yeah. ego, isn't it? Like just lose the ego. We're all replaceable. It's fine. And actually there's room for all of us. Absolutely. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely.
One of the things we're really passionate about at Tax for Actors is education. Education about tax, about self-employment, about finance. I've seen firsthand how a lack of education regarding tax and finance can have a detrimental impact on someone's career, but also on their mental health. The stress of managing money, the stress of where that next paycheck is going to come from really can't be underestimated. And I guess that's one of the driving forces behind Tax for Actors. Yes, we want to help you with your self-assessment. Yes, we want to act as your accountant. But more importantly, we want to be part of your support network as you navigate through the various stages of your career, whether that's the ups or whether that's the downs. We want to be there by your side, offering our support and our advice. So if we can help you out, our contact details can be found in the show notes. They can be found at the end of this podcast, or you can drop us an email on owen at taxforactors.com. Enough of me talking. Enjoy the rest of the show. So in 2013, you played the role of Althea in The Light Princess at the National Theatre, for which you won the Evening Standard Award for Best Actress in a Musical, and you were also nominated for an Olivier. Um, how did you find being the lead in a show that received so much press attention? Wow, um, God, uh, scary, actually. Um, I think that I've been building up to that job for so long because we worked on it for five years at the National and it kept getting postponed and postponed. And um, I've been in training for it for so long as well, physically, just to sort of do the upside downness and the singing of it. That um, I suppose what's wonderful about the National, which is why um, I'll forever be in love with it and would work there for the rest of my life and do nothing else if I could do that, um, is that it, it's a big um, shield against all that stuff. I think the West End literally goes, get out there, go, 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 promote it. And the, and the National go, do you want to do an interview? You don't have to. Um, and if you do, well, would you like to do it in your lunch hour? Or it was like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was just so, um, it just never felt like that. I guess it just never felt like that. And also I was extremely... Um, just I think I was just ready to do it I was so like it was just like I want I wanted the opportunity so much and I'd and I think I'd done a, a couple of shows at the National before then they'd sort of been I mean one which was probably my favorite job of all time which was London Road so I felt like but the support from because you've got all the different shows in there and they all just support it's a big gorgeous community and everyone is like go for it. You know, it's not like other actors going, oh, that fucking bitch is doing that show over there or whatever. It's just like, people are going, I'm so, like, they'll come up to you in the canteen and just go, mate, I saw that last night. That was astonishing. I'm so, I can't believe it, it was amazing. And you just feel like you're part of a community. So I guess I never felt like, oh my God. I mean, obviously I was shaking myself on the first night, but actually I was probably more scared that I was going to die because of the things I was having to do in it <laughs> rather than the press stuff. <laughs> and also, I'd never had any press. I'd never had to really deal with the press. So I was like, green. I was like, what? Well, that's fine. It's just an interview, isn't it? I wasn't like the big bad press. And I had no designs on being like famous and I still don't. So it was like, great, bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm so interested. Like just now I'm listening to... Um, like a whole like range of podcasts about you know actors talk about you know how we do this to act and create we don't do it for 
the fame and it's so interesting now because there's a whole generation who just want to do things. I was like, who was it? It was Ricky Gervais. It was an interview with uh, Ricky Gervais just chatting about how now people just want to be famous and they don't, you know, you don't realise when someone's on that red carpet, they're they're doing they're doing their job. And, and you're someone who certainly has worked so hard. You have an absolute amazing CV that any actor could ever dream of. And oh you know, God, you know I hope you, I do hope you know that you're such an inspiration to so many people honestly you you really really are and um, I mean you've done tv to film Shakespeare to you know every West End show that you think of what advice would you give to um particularly younger actors who are maybe the subject of being pigeonholed and I don't know why I emphasize the hold there hold. <laughs> I like that pigeonholed yeah. And, hold. Um, and how do you keep so diverse as an actor and the roles that you want to play? Well, that, Scarlett A, you're, that's insane that you say that, but thank you very much because it just, just feels like an entire CV of flukes. So that's very, very nice for you it's to say so that. True though. Oh God, but listen, there's just no oh. reason to it. It's just always been like... Um, a kickball at scramble, but um, to get any of those jobs, but also because you'll get turned down for one thing and you'll think that's the end of the world and then it will lead to something else, a door opening up somewhere else and you're thinking, well, I'll just go through there and then you don't realise that that leads to that and that leads to that and that's it. And it's like a whole flipping crazy sort of spider chart of like of things that happened that that led to certain things I guess the the most important thing is making decisions that you want to make and not your agent your agents are very very good at so if you if you get on with your agent you trust them which is half the battle isn't it um if you trust them to point you in the right direction you've got to be very clear on what it is that you're wanting in your in, in your career and what you want to go for. Mine was always that I don't want to be pigeonholed. So if it meant that you call me up and say you have an audition for Les Mis and you've got an audition for um, Hobson's Choice at the Watermill, I'd go Hobson's Choice any day of the week. Because I was like, it didn't. I didn't want to go off and do a big musical. I wanted to go off and do a play. And I thought if I go off and do a play, I'll earn less. I didn't, I don't care. I'm not doing this for money. If I was, I would not be an actor. Um, I would be doing something else with my life. Yeah. So I think you have to make very, very bold, brave decisions. And I think you've got to be, you've got to know why you're doing it. I think the biggest question is the why, why are you doing this? Are you doing it to become famous? A, don't do it. If you're doing it to make money, don't do it. And if you're doing it because you want a varied and interesting life, want to do lots of different things, then make those decisions and make them and be sure, you know, I'm the first person to, my agent would say to me and my whole family and Hadley would go, you are the most annoying person at making decisions. I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think so? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think I should do that? (laughs) I'm terrible at going, what do I think? What do I think? But I think you have an instinct in this industry as to what is right or what is wrong for you. And I think you've got to have one of three if you're taking a job. You've got to have the place, you've got to have the project and the people. But it's going to be like, do you want to work at that place? Do you want to work on that piece? And do you want to work with those people? And if you've got more than two missing, don't do it. 
You don't do it. I would rather work. I have tempted my whole life. I would rather work in a call centre than do a job that I think is going to book me up for a whole year and it's not, and it's just going to basically set me back and basically go, well, you've done that show, so then you can't do any of that. I don't want to do that. I'd rather wait, even if I've got to wait a year and a half. Yeah. And earn no money. You're not going to earn any money anyway, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. No, No, absolutely. That's brilliant. That's total makes so much sense so much sense and I think as well that feeds into the the mental well-being side as well if you're not happy in a job then why are you doing it you have to be happy you have to be happy and also not get get stuck in that thing which I think actually again the pandemic has really sort of shaken that out of me certainly of going what are you up to to act is like really like what are you busy? What are you doing? You've got new auditions. What are you doing? Oh my God. Hi. What, 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 what's that? What's that you auditioning for? Oh my God. Are you? Okay. <laughs> like that. Well, so-and-so is being seen for that. Why aren't I being seen for it? But it's just also just that thing of going, just owning it and going, yeah, I'm going to work. Or like that, that, those are the people that I would always, I'd be at a press night with, or I'd come out of doing a show and I'd be like, oh, hi, hi, how are you doing? Yeah. How's it going? You know, and then they wouldn't, they wouldn't offer up what they were doing. So after a while, I'd go, you know, are you working on anything at the moment? they go, well. And I'd be like, okay, so <laughs> that's good because you've just owned it. But also that made me feel like I'd love to be like that because also there wasn't any, well, I was going to do this job, but then I thought, no. Because there could be like 25 things going on for them. But they're like, no, I'm not doing anything at the moment. I don't care. That moment lasts like that. I'm like, And I don't go home going... Hmm. I wonder whether they're going to do that. I'm back to thinking about myself. What am I going to do? You know, all that kind of, we're just ferreting away, like scrubbing away like that. Um, but I just think if you, if you make those decisions and you, that you say, no, I don't want, if you're very, you've got to be clear, I think got to be clear and decisive and um, know why you're turning things down. Yeah. Or the opportunity, you know, just make those decisions quickly if that's what you want say I'm not and if sometimes you don't also it, there's a flip side to that isn't it because sometimes you go look I'd love to just wait for a job at Salisbury Playhouse or the Royal Exchange or Sheffield or Nottingham please god let all these places be alive and well when we leave this pandemic I just um you might need to do something for money and that's fine as well but I think if you've done if you do it all for money and that's what you want. That's fine. But if you're, but if you really are like, I don't want to get pigeonholed, then don't pigeonhole yourself. Yeah. Very good advice. Very <laughs> good advice. So there was a time when being a female actor in the industry was quite scary. And many movements over the last few years, um, especially me too, we've seen, we've definitely seen a change. Um, a huge movement that we saw here in the UK was, uh, of course, the production of Company when you were cast as Bobby as the female lead rather than the male lead. Um, obviously, this was amazing and a real game changer. What do you think we can do to continue to support female actors in the industry and female creatives, um, for that matter? Well, it's a really good question. I think, um, I think there, you know, there's been a great... Uh, movement to help women and forefront women and I hope that that's not a trend um these things often are and then they sort of go yeah we've done that we've done our bit now I feel like we need females to keep making the work 
to keep writing for women, to keep um, for women to be keep to be nurtured, to be directors, designers, um, stage management, producers. I think the more female led it is, the more likely we are to have more females in the actual industry. And in terms of like um, forefronting female stories or female led stories. Um, I think there's a desire there and I think it's about people being brave as brave enough to realize that that there's an appetite for it and people want to want to hear about women and, and the female experience certainly when I was playing Bobby and um other sort of big female roles I just felt like um people were so hungry to hear about women uh, and it wasn't just women it was everybody because it's just sort of like We've been so sidelined and so sort of um, put in the background as wives, girlfriends, um, mothers, sisters, rather than the actual main protagonists of the stories, that um, I think in order to keep that moving, people just need, need to keep pushing on those doors and saying, we won't go away. You know, I, I, I think it's incredible. We have a musical with all women, six, you know, six musical, just, I haven't had the, the, the fortune of seeing it, but the fact that that- You must. Everyone says that. It's amazing, oh. right? Yeah, it's just girl power. It's just like, it's just great fun. And like, you just have a really great time there. Well, I think, I mean, I've always had an interest in female stories and I've been lucky enough to work with mainly females in the profession like I feel like most of the directors I've worked with have been women I've played mostly strong female roles of um and they've always been quite chunky parts as well so I just think gosh you know I, I it's 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 just it's one of those things that I just think it just has to keep going but we in order to do that we just have to keep our voices loud and we have to keep not giving in I just don't think the, we're in a position at the moment I, I think we're in a very very good strong position at the moment with all the Me Too movement with all the the Weinstein scandal people aren't people are very very hyper aware of it now and I just think that we're not going anywhere so people just let's just keep doing what we're doing it's obviously working um well, yeah I mean, 100%. I, I saw something on Twitter the other day about someone was talking about the amazing stuff that's been on TV recently. So if we look at the um, the name escapes me for a second, but um, the drama that Michaela Cole has written and starred in. And I made then, sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and then uh, obviously Fleabag last year yeah. and Normal People was written by a woman. And it's just like... Back to life. This stuff that people are My going plan. crazy over... It's all written by women. And I'm like, I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah. People are obsessed with it. I think it's some of the best stuff I've ever seen. Yeah. So like, let's just keep going with it because it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And also just as you, exactly. It's being, it's, it's, it's women at the forefront um, being written by women. I'm sure directed and produced by as well. Um, And also it, it, uh, like, I think we were just saying, it's not just women sat down watching those things. It's everybody. I mean, saying this is insane. This is brilliant. This is everything. You know, the Michaela Cole's thing is all over the magazines. Does it like the best thing since sliced bread? And she wrote chewing gum, didn't she? That was huge as well. It's just, I feel like the presence of the female is, it's not to be reckoned with. Mm. <laughs> is it? We're not going to go quietly. Not after all this time. 
after all this time sitting in the sidelines going, yeah, that's fine, I'll say those three lines. Yes, sir. You know, this one, sir. No. No. We're not having that. Absolutely not. Got too no. much to give. There's too much there's too much talent out there. There's too much female talent out there, especially like the, some of the writing talent that's come up in the last few years has just been like astronomically good. Um, I, I do think we need some more female artistic directors though. Yeah. I really, really do. I think, you know, there's still, it's still in the, the in the theatre world, there's a lot of men still running the ships and that needs to change. Yeah. Not that they're not brilliant, but I just think in order to have, it's just a different feel if you've got a woman running somewhere and it should naturally be um, more female and orientated and led. And I just think if we if we really sat down with a list of who runs what theatre, 90% are still men. Yeah. And I'm sure that's the same of TV channels and stations and producers and the money people. They need to be, there needs to be some more yeah. women in there. Definitely. Hopefully we will see change come very soon, especially with everything that's going down at the moment. Yeah. Um, it just makes sense to change things up, change <laughs> things up. Why not? Yeah. Why not? So Rosie, I don't think we've ever had an actor chat to us with the knowledge and experience that you have. So I feel like it's, it's right to ask you this question. And the question is, what? what do you think still needs to change in the arts to support mental health? in every single aspect sorry it's such a huge question uh everything <laughs> is is that right is that right sir yeah we need to be we need to grow up we need to grow up we need to accept that it's part of life mental health um and we need to keep talking and also i feel like we need to accept that people struggle with it even if you think they're strong even if you think that they're they look like a happy go lucky person everyone has their battles and everyone needs someone to talk to and everyone's going through something and i really really um feel like there needs to be somebody there needs to be a go to person on every single job who's has that job solely that you have a you have some pastoral care because there's you can't often talk to your company managers as much as you'd like to because they they're very very busy people and they've got a huge number of people to look after so if you're going to them with problems that you're experiencing um, at work uh, it might be have nothing to do with work as well so it might be incredibly difficult to go into work and suddenly have those conversations with colleagues or um, people that you see day in day out because it might be very something very very personal there's often this thing on the first day of rehearsals now where people read out things about bullying or you know feeling that you are in a safe environment and you are you should be able to turn to people now you effectively you're in a in a room with probably a bunch of strangers if, if you've not worked with some people before and who knows what you've been through in your life that's brought you up to standing to the in that moment at that time I just 
you know, uh, sometimes the things that you need to talk about which are happening in the room cannot be talked about with people who are in the room because it might involve the people in the room. So there needs to be somebody outside that room who is not, um, uh, it doesn't have any sort of bearing on, um, what am I trying to say? No, no inf- like no influence over... Exactly, no influence, but also it wouldn't matter to them what you said because it's it does, it's not going to affect their job or their career. It's just somebody separate, maybe a counsellor or somebody who who is just brought onto that. They've got nothing to do with the industry, um, and it, it doesn't matter. They probably might not know who you're working with or who are you or all this kind of stuff. That you have someone to talk to because. It's not an easy profession. I know there's far, far harder, and we joke about it being the tinsel mines and things like that, but we do deal with a great deal of emotion all the time. And doing that in front of perfect strangers every night and also in front of people in a room who you're just laying your soul out for people and you're bringing your own personal experiences to that. There's got to be somewhere if you don't have an opportunity to go home and talk to people at home about that somewhere else to go and I think that's not a great deal to ask for in a working environment it happens in most working environments that you have a department which deals with that I mean I know that would cost more money but I just think can you put a price on mental health not really no 100% not and that's the thing like as you say there's loads of professions that do have that in there and I think it's short-term pain for long-term gain in terms of financial um the longer you have these in place the not the less you're going to need them but I think you'll probably won't lose as many days in sick days um you won't the the quality of the work will probably be be better not that mental health necessarily always affects how you how you perform but if you're not feeling if you're not having a great mental health day and you have to take time off then that's one of your sick days taken that's an understudy that has to come up like do you know what I mean it's I think yeah I think in the long term it would really really help to have to have people on this institute it's just a it's just a given it's just a given yeah. that there's someone who's who's there that you can talk right. to who's completely independent yeah so you start on day one and go hi I'm the director hi I'm I'm playing someone hi I'm blah blah I'm you I'm the I'm the, the counsellor for the for this production yeah why not? I mean yes why has it been done already <laughs> yeah I mean I know that there's big institutions like the national have a counsellor who you can go and speak to a number of uh, colleagues who have have used that and said it's been absolutely life-saving life-saving and just said it's just they couldn't have got through it without that and I just think, well I mean obviously the national is a subsidized venue and they can afford things like that but I just think if you if you're um, a regional theater let's hope that that would be a position that would be available uh, for someone to fill uh, like as a full-time job available to everybody in the building and then uh, if you're a private you know if you're a, a separate producer if you're raising funds for a production that's just a little bit more money you have to raise yeah just include that money in the budget I mean I, it would have just I just think about how many jobs I've done over the years where that would have been at any stage or any age of my life just invaluable just invaluable to have somebody just to go can I just talk to you about this that's all it is isn't it can I just talk to you about this yeah I mean it seems so simple doesn't it when we're talking about it and hopefully 
hopefully as things start to go back whenever things start to go back we're what when when I mean we're what like pretty much slap bang in the middle of the year right now and yeah and we don't know what's going to happen but hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel and then there'll be change coming when when we get back into it fingers yeah. crossed <laughs> yeah I just think that we have to take all of these epiphanies that we've had from this time and um you know we'll all be so excited to well in whatever shape or form the industry gets back but to take all this stuff that we've learned into it and not forget you know not get I I just hope we don't go back into the profession going yeah we're back now it's fine we've got to go back with all of this knowledge and all of this enlightenment we've had over this time and go actually I just don't think that's okay that that happened like that because we've had time to really think about it Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't think we will now that we're getting further and further into it. Like it's been, I, I think it's been like what, 14 weeks since the theatres closed or something, yeah, which is just horrific. But I think that now that we're seeing that theatre isn't going to go back as we expected it to, I don't think we can go back to how it was before because we're going to have to make a change. So let's implement those changes in when we go back. Like I, I don't see any reason not to, otherwise we're just going to end up exactly where we were before. I agree, but I think there'll be like totally different things that we're having to deal with when we get back as well. I mean, what there'll be, imagine even getting back on stage now. I mean, that'll be so scary. Yeah. The anxiety surrounding that. And also the, you know, the mental health Mm -hmm. issues that people have had over this pandemic will be extraordinary. There'll be people really, really needing some help who maybe they've had to go back and maybe they've lived on their own for God knows if it's not until January, they've had, months alone mm-hmm. I just I just fear for uh, well people's mental well-being and of course the industry but I just um I think it's people are going to be very very different when they come out of this yeah very different definitely so on to our final question uh, which we ask everybody could you walk into a room today and say I'm having a bad mental health day Oh, wow. I'd like to. I don't know how I'd phrase it in terms of... Sometimes you go to work for escape as well, don't you? Yeah. So you might be going to work and you're having a terrible, terrible day. And when you get in there, it changes everything. And you go, oh, gosh, this is really wonderful being part of this community. And it's taken me right out of myself. And, you know, it's those little bits in between the day which I would find work with something would happen with LV or with a member of the family or you've got some financial problems and you're stepping out at like for a 10 minute break, a 10 minute pre-break and you've got to go back and you've got to keep going on your scene, going on your song and you're going to do, do this routine, you're going to do that. And you're thinking something monumental has just happened outside and you're on the phone and you're going and you're like, I can't, I can't, you know, I wish I, in those moments I'd like to be able to walk in and say, I'm really sorry. I've just had a really tough phone call. Sorry. I'll just, I, I, um, if I'm a bit okay I'm back in the room but that's fine I just need to acknowledge that but I think um god I'd love an environment where we can say that that would be amazing that maybe if maybe it would be like a new thing where you meet up so you if you meet up and do a warm-up every single morning which you would people would meet up and warm up and then you could go around and say how you are that day like say hi um you know or, or you don't have to you just say morning or you say, I'm, or, or someone has the opportunity or the forum to say, hi, um, I'd just like to say I'm having a particularly bad day. Or 
if you're not well enough to come into work because you're depressed or you've got something serious going on in your life or you just you simply cannot get into work because you're mentally unstable that day you you work in an environment where that is okay where you can say I'm not going to push through actually I'm not going to push through today because I because I can't so um I just that would be wonderful gosh imagine if we I really I really hope we can do that I hope so it'd be great wouldn't it it's and it's not a it's not a mollycoddling thing it's not a letting people off with this it's just acknowledging that life happens and that we are allowed to put life and our lives and our family's lives before our jobs as you would do in any other any job I just can't remember any other I just can't remember I can't imagine any other job where you say like I've got loads of people in my life with with non uh, creative jobs or creative jobs but not in the arts who just say who are having a really shit day and they just go I didn't go into work yesterday or they go I'm like what they go, no I didn't go into work yesterday because I was having I was just having a really bad day and I thought it was best I didn't go in I was like oh my god I would get fired I did that like I'm sorry like you have to be dying not to go into work in the arts so like you have to be like literally your limbs are falling off mm-hmm. or if like you're, you're sick on a show and it's like can you are you sure you can't just get through it and you're like honestly I can I can't get out of bed mm-hmm. and they're like but can you I mean it's two o'clock now no it's two o'clock now and I'm really sick so I'm not <laughs> going to be well by five yeah. it's just like well you should really try and get it's that mentality around it which yeah. actually does more damage than anything it's that you must carry on you must carry on thing that actually just beats people into a place where they are getting more and more sick because yeah. that sort of mentality about you're weak if you don't come in you're weak if you miss a show you're weak if you your voice is going or you get woe be tired if you lose if you get a cold or if you've got, you're puking, yeah. uh, get on stage. The amount of times I've been violently sick backstage and still going out and doing it. I was on the Olivier playing Rosalind and As You Like It, throwing up behind bits of scenery. What? No. Seriously. Like with a hip flask of water shaking like that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Oh my uh, gosh. Surely it's not worth it. No. I mean, if you were a cat in cats and you had broken your leg and you had an x-ray to prove you broken your leg and you had a cast on and they were like go yeah. do three pirouettes and like jeté across the floor and you'd be like no yeah, <laughs> so obviously not yeah just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there he- there you said it yeah there you go you know if we actually call it out for what it is then maybe we can all start addressing it together and being like I've said from the beginning, being a community and saying, God, that must be really hard for you. And like, maybe that person just needs to say that and not give it any time, but just so you're aware that somebody is not well that day. That's what, that's what it is, isn't it? Just remove all the stigma. That's all it is. Absolutely. 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 Rosalie, thank you so, so much. Um, as we said before, we have another game. Oh, yay! So this is called Finish the Sentence. Oh, lordy, all right. So, <laughs> my favourite song to sing in the shower is... <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> okay, my favourite song to sing in the shower is... 
oh, it will be like a Joni Mitchell song. Anything Joni Mitchell. Sorry, <laughs> Greg. Amazing. My ideal holiday destination would be? Cornwall. Oh, oh yeah. My current Netflix watch is? Ozark. The Ozark. <gasps> You're loving it. It's so good. So good. Um, every, everyone should be more honest mental health to me is health itself my dead or alive party guest would be <gasps> that is insanely difficult <laughs> dead or alive party but, guest no I might have to come back to that one ladies Okay. Oh, no, I, should, I, think. I should answer it. It's a quick fire round. My dead or alive party guest would be, um, oh, who do I want to chat to? So many people. Um, I quite like to chat to Grace and Perry. Um, my favourite role I've ever played is? My favourite role? All of the roles in London Road. All of them. All 13 of them. London Road's amazing. Um, today I am grateful for? My family. And finally, my favourite press night drink is? Prosecco. Yes. <laughs> we love a Prosecco. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Rosalie, thank you so, so much for coming and joining us on Zoom for the podcast. It has Absolute been pleasure. such a pleasure to talk to you. And you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Industry Minds. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can reach us on our email, which is info at industryminds.co.uk. For all counselling inquiries, please email mary at industryminds.co.uk. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter and Instagram handles are at industrymindsuk. There you can keep up to date with all our latest announcements. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.